like I was, I was a real jerk to live with how my wife and my two kids, you know, I take my hat off to them. <laughs> and it doesn't help either that I lost my wife on the 6th of February. You're listening to Scars We Share. I'm your host, Kayleen. Thanks to all of you for being so patient with me while I haven't been consistent lately. I'm finally getting back to a groove and will be uploading every Thursday. This episode, I had the absolute pleasure and honor of speaking with Doug Lawrence. He speaks at length about mental health, including realizing that he had PTSD stemming from his time as an officer. He is from Canada and just absolutely amazing to talk with. Here's Doug. Gee, um, where do I begin? Um, so I'm Doug Lawrence, and I am a uh, international certified mentor. So I work with people uh, to help, basically help them be the best that they can be. I'm working with individuals now that are dealing with uh, mental health issues. So spending quite a bit of time with that, uh, just primarily uh, focusing on that part of it. I started the mentoring back in 2009. Wow. And so I've been at it for a number of years and it's my full-time job. So that's, I work with people at all various levels of an organization from the president right down to, as I call them, the grassroots workers and, yeah. you know, dealing with a number of, of different things. What I find it's actually, Part of my, I guess, part of my introduction, what I'm finding that is really exciting, exciting to a certain extent, but probably more so that's very much needed is the aspect of mentoring in the mental health space. And so um, yeah. It, it, it's, yeah, I, what I'm trying to position mentoring as is part of the support structure for mental health. So um, I guess for, for myself, been doing this roughly since 2009. I'm retired uh, Royal Canadian Mounted Police officer, so I spent 25 years in the RCMP as a law enforcement officer. Um, yeah, and and I mean I could go on for quite a while, so <laughs> I'll probably stop there. <laughs> it sounds good. So I I am very passionate about like mental health and mental illness and stuff like that. So I think that's really cool that you do mentoring for that kind of stuff. Cause I think it's very needed. It's very needed. And you've been at this for a while now, since 2009, like that's a nice chunk of time to be doing this. So I want to ask, have you seen an increase in people struggling since the pandemic started? Big time. Big time. Yeah. So, and where I've seen it is, it's where you wouldn't think you would see it, and that's in in the sort of the family atmosphere. So, because everybody's being told you have to work from home, so you've got you know husband and wife that are kind of posturing over who's going to get what room in the house to be able to conduct their calls and you know listen, dear, I've got this call I've got to make and I need peace and quiet. And then on top of it all, then we throw homeschooling on top of all of that as well. And so now you got people, instead of juggling two balls, they're probably juggling three. And I've had lots of conversations with people that you can tell, like, the, the fuse is getting a lot shorter. And, you know, they're saying, it's not me. You know, I'm, I'm snapping 
at my husband or I'm snapping at my, you know, my wife when that's not my normal behavior and I don't know quite how to deal with it. And so, you know, we, you know, we talk them through, kind of talk them off the, the edge, so to speak, and, and try and give them some tools to be able to, you know, to kind of talk their way through the situation themselves, kind of navigate through it themselves as, as much as we possibly can. But to come back to your question, yes, huge increase in, you know, anxiety, stress, depression, all of those things are just, they're skyrocketing. And I think what's the stat is that every 40 seconds, someone takes their own life because of, you know, uh, all the stuff that's going on. 40 yeah. seconds, you know, it's, you start to sit down. I, I remember I wrote a blog article and I think in the time that it took to write the article, I forget how many people, it was just some astronomical number of people that would have taken their life, you know, from, from yeah. so it's, yeah, it's, it's on the increase. Yeah. Which is, it's just so awful. Like, Oh yeah. I've just, I've even seen a difference like within my own sphere of people just struggling so much more with everything going on with the pandemic. Like it's, it's a lot, it's a lot, so much. Anyway, I, we could probably have an entire episode just talking about that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so let's move to a physical scar. What physical scar do you have? I've got one that I, I, I got when I was just a youngster living on, I'm a farm boy. And so we had this, these two poles and we decided we wanted to do practice high jumping. And so I went into the bush with a knife, a big kitchen knife. And I went to cut down something that was relatively round that we could put to use to jump over top of. Well, I missed and, and I cut, cut my finger and I still got the scar to this very day on my left hand hand you know my left hand um second finger or yeah second second finger and you know there's obviously with me there's a whole story behind that so I started you know bleeding and and my mom it was hard I think it was harvest time it was we were at a busy time because everybody was either out in the field or whatever and and yeah, long story short my grandmother ended up having to drive me was it 20 or 25 miles to the closest hospital in order to get because they looked and they said yeah you probably should have stitches and you know it was still bleeding quite quite heavily so grandma drove me to you know you know and she actually sped for the first time in her life she actually <laughs> broke the speed limit because i could still remember sitting there and saying it's okay grandma it's okay oh no i gotta get you there i gotta get you there i said it's okay grandma i think it's slowed down so we're okay and then I can I can remember it's just it's like it was as vivid as yesterday I guess was that I can remember laying on the on the hospital cot or whatever in the emergency and and the doctors getting ready to suture me up and everything else and he said you know you may want to look away while I'm doing this and I went heck no I want to see <laughs> so I'm watching him as he's you know he froze it and he was stitching it and everything else and I'm like wow that's amazing. And, and sort of, you know, go, going through that. And I, when I think back today, you know, the, I've got scars, I got a scar, but I've had other, you know, surgeries and stuff where there are no scars. And so 
how things have evolved over time, right, is that that's a very good example of how, you know, how the medical process and the procedures and all of that and the talent that a lot of them have, it's evolved to, you know, to a place where you may not have scars, you may not have those scars. Yeah, it really has, which is just absolutely insane. Uh, I had my gallbladder removed in 2014 and you can barely see the scars because they did it laparoscopically. Like years ago, they would have had to have this like huge incision to remove your gallbladder. And now it's just a few little laparoscopic because they do it laparoscopically. It's just crazy where the uh, health profession has gone. Like, it's just crazy. I wanted to note though, I can't believe you watched. Yeah. <laughs> I cannot even imagine. I would be like, nope, I'm going to look the other way and try to think about other things while you're doing this. Like, that's crazy that you just watched them do it as a kid. Well, and it's interesting because just when you mentioned that now, I think when I went to get my COVID shot, I turned away. Mm-hmm. I didn't watch because I didn't, I, no, I just, I don't want to watch the needle going in. And and then I, they said, because I had a really good nurse this last time and she said, okay, we're done. And I went, no, no, give me, give me, give me the shot. And no, we're done. <laughs> no, get out of here. You know, so it was completely, you know, a completely different scenario. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't like needles. Uh, like I just never have. I've kind of gotten over that fear because of some health stuff. But on Monday, so just a couple days ago, I had a doctor's appointment and they wanted to run some blood tests. So they were drawing my blood. And I always look away when, you know, I have my blood drawn. And the lady was like, all right, a little pinch. And I hardly felt it. I was like, oh my gosh, bless you. She was like one of the best people I've ever had because I like hardly felt it because there's been times when I get my blood drawn where I'm like, ooh, that doesn't feel good. Just think about something else while they're doing it. Think about something else. And with this one, I was like, oh, I hardly even feel it. It's just crazy how like yeah. it changes. Anyway, <laughs> so what, oh, wait, really quick. I wanted to ask you, so you grew up in like farm country? Yeah. So was that in, did you say Canada? Yeah, I'm in Can- Saskatchewan in Canada. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's so cool. Um, very different area, but I grew up in a farming community in Idaho. Okay. And it's a different life <laughs> growing up in a farming area. <laughs> well, you know, it, so what, what it did to me was um, it set the stage for where I am today. And so today relationships are extremely important to me. In fact, I, I have my tough days where, because I, you know, I'm staying inside and, you know, all of that stuff and I'm not able to get out and say, go for a coffee or whatever. Um, You know, it's on the farm. We didn't have that because you were kept busy. You know, I, I wasn't on the tractor or, pulling weeds or doing something, uh, there was something wrong. So, you know, um, it's a completely, you're right. It's a completely different lifestyle, but it also, I think for most of us that go through that experience, it's, it actually starts you on the path of developing who you're going to be a lot sooner than those that don't. Yeah. And Uh, Correct me if you disagree or anything, but I think that in general, growing up in a farming community instills a 
ridiculous work ethic. Yes. <laughs> I I started working this past January and it I've I haven't held a job for the past like seven years because I've been doing the stay-at-home mom thing and I just went back to work this past January and I, I I'm I'm doing very well I'm a I'm a good, good employee good. and my my husband was like because I really struggle even taking little breaks because I'm like well if I'm working if I'm on the clock that means I have to be working like I can't just take a little break like and he's like you do realize that not most people aren't like that I was like no, if you're supposed to, if you're at work, you're supposed to be working. Most people work. He's like, you know, most people aren't always like that. <laughs> and I have the hardest time giving myself a break. And yeah, I've noticed that like I have a hard time, like even just taking little breaks from work because I'm like, no, if I'm working, I have to get the work done. Um, but yes, insane work ethic from farming community people that I have known for sure. Yeah. And I see it with my dad and he never knows when to quit. <laughs> Even after like falling off a roof and having a heart attack, he like never knows when to stop because that's just. It's not part of the makeup. No, it's just not. Nope. So I, I just, I actually really like connecting with people who have that same kind of background though. Cause I know it's different, but it's still kind of, there's some similarities that are just kind of fun. So let's do go ahead and move to the internal scar. Okay. What internal scar are you willing to talk about? I think the one that sort of stands out for me the most is my, um, my experience with post-traumatic stress. So um, didn't know that I, it, it, the whole, how this all came to be is, is really strange in some respects, I guess, but I did not know that that's what I had experienced until such time as I started to do my research for, so part of, I'm, one of my certifications is I'm a, a certified competent mentor, or sorry, certified competent journey mentor. So in a journey mentor, how we've built that is based on my research and that is somebody who can help somebody navigate through the certification process. That's number one. The number two, it's that you can be part of the support structure for mental health. So mental health, mental well-being, post-traumatic stress, operational stress injury, all, all of those things so that you can be part of that. So I'm doing my research and I'm going, well, just a minute, that's how I felt. In just a minute, that that's the behavior that I demonstrated. And I'm going, you had post-traumatic stress. And I'm going, yeah, I guess so. And, and I'm thinking, and yet the organization didn't recognize it. And of course, not recognizing it didn't do anything to, you know, to provide you with the tools that you needed to work your way through it. And so... Yeah, for me, I guess the internal part was post-traumatic stress and the fallout that came from that. Yeah, something that um, I think with post-traumatic stress, a lot of people, it's starting to shift. I'm actually seeing a big shift. Um, a lot of people associate it all with like war. That's something that I've heard from a lot of people is they like whenever they hear post-traumatic stress, they always just they automatically connect it to war 
Um, and that's something that it's not just that I'm sure you were, you were very more well, <laughs> you know, way more about this than I do, obviously, cause you're the professional in it, but that's something that I have found really interesting is a lot of people just automatically make that connection, even though that may not necessarily be the case. So, um, for you, so how long ago was this that you were kind of realizing um, I probably recognized in, a, in the last probably two, three years, because I've been doing a lot of research and stuff for the last two to three years on that. Uh, so that's when kind of the light bulb went on. Um, yeah. there, there were some pretty powerful signals or signs before that that I just, I missed. I, mm-hmm. I didn't know. I, you know. Like I was, I was a real jerk to live with how my wife and my two kids, you know, I take my hat off to them (laughs) and it doesn't help either that I lost my wife on the 6th of February and, um, that was a, that was a cancer situation, but we never really had the time to, or took the time to actually sit down and have that conversation, you know, that you'd like to have to be able to say, I was a jerk. Sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. So was that just this past February, just a few months ago? Yeah. Just a few months ago. So that's very fresh. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. You know, I, started started to talk more openly and more freely about it and that by itself has been the most therapeutic thing that I could have done like just being able to share with you is you know it's hard it's you know it, it's it's deep and it's harsh but at the same time you know when I reflect back afterwards um, it is truly very very therapeutic and you know, having had post-traumatic stress and then, you know, on top of that, you know, losing my wife, my partner, who always encouraged me to keep digging, keep digging deeper and you're on, you're on, you're heading in the right direction. You know where you need to go. So keep going. Um, you know, that part's missing, but the commitment to go forward isn't. So, you know, it's it's still it's still there so being able to you know realize when somebody else i'm working as an example i'm working with somebody who uh was diagnosed bipolar and uh i've learned a lot in in the last couple months just working with an individual like that that sometimes you don't engage the toughest thing to be able to do is to just be quiet and and let them talk and let them you know uh, sometimes it's a rant where they need to just rant and so it's it's you know it, it's just allowing that to take place and being supportive and non-judgmental and allowing that to all happen so um just like my wife and my kids they were non-judgmental they knew that inside that shell was a good person there are so many beautiful things in what you're saying right now and I'm trying to like gather my thoughts enough to kind of go on it. So one thing 
talking about things and just being able to share your story, like just talk about things is so healing. Yeah. I mean, that's why we have mental health professionals. It's why we have mentors. It's why, like, it's why we have so many of these things is because everyone has this need to talk things out, to just to talk about things. And I think that there really is so much healing that happens when you do that, not only for you, but the people around you. It's just an overall, like, it's one of the best ways to heal is to talk about things. But it's, that's so much easier said than done, mm-hmm. because actually talking about those things is, can be really, really hard, especially for some people. Like, I'm a very open and vulnerable person. So talking about things for me, I'm like, oh, that's fine. Like, I want to talk about things. It's not a big deal. Whereas if you talk to my husband, he'd be like, I'm not talking about anything. Like, <laughs> and he, he's going to be very, very picky and choosy with who he talks to because he's not an open person. And so I know that talking about things is also very difficult for different people just because of who you are, which is fine. But I do think that there's so much healing that can be found just by talking with people. Something else that you said. Oh, it's, it's gone. I can't remember. So it'll it'll come back. (laughs) But you know, that's the one thing, the, the, the whole idea of about how therapeutic and how healing it is to talk about it. We have so many people that, as I call it, that haven't come out yet, haven't stepped out of the closet to say, help, I need help. We have yep. so many people that are in that place that they would rather just, you know, suffer in silence. Um, Because I call, you know, I call mental health a silent pandemic. That's what I refer to it as. You know, we've got COVID. Sure, that's a pandemic, but it's not, it's not silent. It doesn't, you know, for the most part, you know what I'm getting at. So, but with mental health, I call it the silent pandemic. And if we're not careful, it's going to become the next, if it isn't already, it's going to become the next wave that we call it. Right, the next wave that's going to be sweeping over all of us, and some of us are going to be able to step back from the cliff, and some of us aren't. Yeah. You know, and it's, you know, the, and that's the part that I saw with, you know, with mentoring was that I've I've had some people. I'm working with uh, an organization in the U.S. where I'm helping uh, military people transition from military to civilian life. And they, you know, a lot of them have got post-traumatic stress and they're dealing with that and, you know, having to be always cognizant of the triggers. Like you go to a a state fair and there's fireworks going off. That's a trigger for a lot of military people because that's, that reminds them of, you know, being in combat and there being bombs going off all over the place. But the one thing that sort of the, the, the message that, I got from my conversations with one of the people was that, you know, the military is good. They're great for, to help us or to try and help us as much as they possibly can. They've got us plugged into counselors and psychiatrists and social workers and all that sort of stuff. And they said, really, all we need is you, Doug. That's all we need. And it's because I listen in here. I don't pass judgment. I may ask the odd question just to keep the dialogue going. Yeah. 
but and, and I'm respectful. I I respect what they've had to deal with and what they're dealing with now. And so it, to me, it was very heartwarming to have somebody say, we don't need all those other people. We just need you. And so take that into the context of going forward is that if we have more people that are, say, the journey mentors like myself, think of how many more people we're going to be able to reach out, touch and help with their journey towards healing. You know, the, mm-hmm. the numbers are just unbelievable. Yeah. Absolutely. I, this actually made me remember what I was I knew thinking I, about. Yeah. <laughs> so thanks for that. Let me, let me try this again. Something that I think is a problem is, I don't know if it is in Canada, but especially in the U S right now, <laughs> people listen to respond yeah. and they don't listen to understand. And I think that there's a very big problem with that when it comes to mental health, because it's like, it's like you said, you have to be without judgment and I'm not a mental health professional, but I've done a lot of episodes for this podcast where I just listen to people share their story. And there's a difference between just listening to someone versus listening to try to fix it or listening to try to respond to something specific. Like, I, I think part of the reason I forgot what I was going to say, because it happens regularly, not just COVID brain fog, long hauler, but um, because I really try to just listen and be an active listener. And so sometimes I'll be like, oh, I want to, I want to bring something up, but then I'm trying to listen. And so I'll forget what I was going to say because I just want to listen. And it's hard to get to that point because it, you can even hear it like from the beginning, my first episodes to the more recent ones, you can see that I've gotten better at just listening. And I think that there is, I think that by and large, the majority of us need to practice listening more than responding because you just need that person to unleash on just let everything go without judgment without fear like just let someone listen to it all and just that helps so much it's so healing just being able to get everything off of your chest with someone who's not going to hold anything against you they're just going to hold space for you yeah and the biggest thing is i can't fix it yeah I cannot fix it. I can guide you. I can stand beside you. I'll never leave you on the island by yourself, but I cannot fix it. If you're not willing to, you know, to go on that journey yourself, I spend a lot of time, even with the young person I'm working with right now, is getting them to sort of see who they are as a person and believing in who they are. Because if you don't believe in who you are, how are we going to change any behavior? How are we going to be able to say, you know, today I, I just asked one question and the response was, well, I don't know what my triggers are. And I said, that's right. And I was always set. Yeah. And, and it was, you know, there was a week ago, we were in a happy place. Something's changed because we're not in a happy place today. And, and so, so what changed? And the response was, as I said, right, 
um, you know, I don't understand. I don't know what my triggers are. That's right. So that's that's where the root cause lies, and I can guide, but I can't. I can't tell. And it's you yeah. know the big thing we always tell mentors when we're training them and stuff like that is you know your job is not to prescribe. Your job is you know not to administer any you know medication whatsoever. Your job is to listen and hear what the other person is saying. Your job is to listen for those trigger words in a conversation that may indicate a behavior, but it may also indicate a direction you need to, to, to go. You need to also be listening for when they deflect. They don't want you to talk. They want you to listen. They don't want you to pass judgment. They want you to listen. And it's taken even now, I every so often have to catch myself where I start to get engaged in the conversation and I'm going, whoa, 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 just a minute. You're going down the rabbit hole and you don't want to go down that rabbit hole. And so then I'll stop. And as soon as I stop responding, things quieten down. And, you know, then I can start to, then you can sort of start to use common sense to get people to think, start to think rationally. Yeah. Wow. Uh, sorry, I'm just, I'm very fascinated by this and I'm loving this so much because I think that there's so much beauty in this. And I love that. I don't know. I just love that you're a mentor. I like, I'm trying to figure out how to say this. The stigma around getting help for mental health is declining. There's like, it is declining for which I am very, very grateful, but there still is like a stigma around seeking out help for if you're having mental mental health issues. And I feel like it's easier to say, I am talking with my mentor Mm -hmm. versus I'm talking with my psychiatrist or I'm talking with my therapist. And I think that we need to destigmatize all of that. But I do think that some people would have an easier time just saying, I'm talking with my mentor. And I kind of love that. Like, I think that's really beautiful, actually, because you're also mentoring them. It's like you said, you're not fixing it. You're just trying to mentor them to help them help themselves, which I think is just kind of beautiful. Well, and the thing that I find, too, is that the relationship that I build with somebody who's going to be my mentee, for lack of a better choice of words, is a long-term relationship. Yeah. So, you know... I've, I have people that I've been working with now, not necessarily in the mental health space, maybe in the leadership space that I've been working with for probably five, six years, you know, so, you know, same sort of thing. And then I have others that, you know, we, we have periodic conversations, maybe once a month or maybe once every two, three months. And, and it's a combination of, you know, some personal stuff that's going on in their life as well as, you know, work related or even mental, mental health related. And, you know, so we talk our way through that, but at at no time do I, you know, do I say, well, if this was me, this is what I would do. I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm suggesting, um, I do storytell. Uh, I do storytell a lot to be able to sort of, you know, talk about different approaches and things like that. And then, I throw a question in to get them to start to think and, yeah. and do it in that context. But um, it's, I, I, 
I think if we embrace, not if I think, I know that if we embrace mentoring and allow it to be part of that mental health support structure, um, I think, you know, we, we're heading in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I completely agree. 100%. So I kind of want to go back to something from a while ago and only talk about what you want to talk about. That's totally fine. So was your post-traumatic stress brought on from your time in the police? Yeah. 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 It was definitely from, from the job that I was doing. You know, I was, I had times where I'm just trying to, one of the places I was in, I was there for two years with my family, which was probably my saving grace, but I was the only police officer in that community of roughly 500 people. And the only way in or out was by air. And if I needed help, they were probably a good half hour, 45 minutes away by airplane. Wow. So not quick. No, no. That's really intense and would be very stressful. Yeah. Well, and you've got, you know, you got to experience things that, you know, you would not normally get to experience. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I still carry um, memories of those particular situations um, with me even, you know, even today. Um, And then, you know, I've had, I had the one that, um, unfortunately, fortunately, I didn't have a family at that stage. I, I, I was, I had, I think I can't remember if I had actually proposed to Deborah yet. I ended, ended up meeting her in one of the small communities that I was stationed at. And anyhow, long story short, we were putting together this hot community hockey team that was going to go down the highway a little ways and play the neighboring community. And we had a young 16 year old boy that was just a really good little hockey player. And he made the men's team and he was actually very excited about the whole thing as were a lot of us, cause we were so proud of his accomplishments. And he went home to tell mom and dad only to walk in the door and see that they'd been drinking all day and they were absolutely wasted and Uh, He went to tell them and they would have nothing. They didn't want to hear anything else. So he ended up, he took his own life and, you know, with what we had to do. So we had to obviously take his, his body out for an autopsy and all that sort of stuff. Well, the closest morgue was eight hours away by vehicle in the midst of winter. So you can probably guess what happened was, you know, we had to, load up the police suburban and Deborah went with me, which was a good thing. She kept me entertained for the eight hour trip, but you know, I still have flashbacks to that situation where I go, you know, what could have I done differently to have maybe saved him from having to, to go through that experience of looking for the, positive accolades from mom and dad only to, you know, basically be hunted out of the house because they were too inebriated to be able to even comprehend what he had just done. Yeah. That is, that's a lot. That's a lot for a person to take on. That's a 
that's a lot. I do know um, that a fair amount of first responders, whether it be police officers, um, oh my gosh, firemen. I was like, what's like, um, just any type of first responder. I know that a lot of them have a lot of problems because of the things that they see and they deal with. And I don't think they, especially in the U S they don't earn enough money for what they have to deal with. So I'm really glad that you realized that you, that there was something going on and that you needed some help. Like that you just, that you, there was something there that needed dealing with because a lot of the times people don't know that no and here's a message for organizations that's out there i didn't have any support so i like i did not have a place i could go to other than maybe to you know the nursing station to say i i don't feel right or something's not right other than that there was nobody to say you know, you've just gone through a traumatic experience. So as a result of that, you know, we want to give you these tools to work with and stuff like that. None of that. So my message to organizations today is if you do not have a mental health program in your company today, get one and get it soon because you're part of the problem. You're not helping Mm -hmm. us deal with it. You're actually making it, you know, you're, you're just, you're not helping it at all. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say that I know that um, even when I was doing my research, the the whole aspect of the uh, organizations, uh, just, you know, they, some have got stuff in place. Yes, I have to, you know, I've got to recognize or acknowledge that, but some don't. And and so they're the ones that need to play catch up. Um, And I talk a bit, I'm writing a second book. Uh, that deals with mentoring and mental health. And, and I'm capturing that in there is that organizations have a responsibility as well to their employees to provide them with the tools. Because one of the things you had mentioned before where you had said, you know, that I probably had other stuff, you know, sort of in my research and that one of the things we all know how important or not how important, how, how predominant bullying is in the workforce. Yeah. Bullying and post-traumatic stress go hand in hand. That makes sense. And that's really sad. And I I worked in, when I was still in the RCMP, one of my bosses was a bully. And, you know, they weren't going to do anything about it. And so I had to, I took the bull by the horns and said, well, okay, then my health's more important, so I'm going to retire and I'm going to move on to something else. And then they went, ooh, this is bigger than what we thought. You think, you know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, On the note of bullying, I think that, man, there are so many long-lasting repercussions from being bullied, whether it's in school, whether it's in, in, in a job, whether it's at home. There are so many lasting effects that come from bullying. And I'm glad that there's starting to be more discussion about it, but I think that there needs to be a lot more discussion about it before we're going to see a lot of help on that front, which is unfortunate, but hopefully it comes sooner rather than later. Going back to, we're about out of time, but I want to go back to the post-traumatic stress. So you realize that, oh, this was you, like, 
this is me. Like, I think I have this. What were some of the steps that you took to kind of help yourself get into a better place? Mm-hmm. Well, I think the, the big thing we talk about resilience factors and, and part of that is, you know, wanting to, I, t- I tapped into the, the energy that my, my family had who said, you know, we, we know you're not that bad person that you're coming across as. Um, and so we want to stand beside you and help you, you know, we want to kind of pull you away from the edge of the cliff because we yeah. see something better that's there for for you and for us. And so there was definitely, um, you know, definitely that was something that, you know, that had to take place. You know, as far as I think it, it was from a support perspective, it was making sure that I chose my inner circle carefully because having with mental health, having the wrong people that are trying to do good things for you, they sometimes end up doing not so good. And so it was sort of wrapping my head around what that inner circle looked like, who would be part of it, and then drawing on their energy that they they were allowing me to draw on, drawing on that to sort of help you know, get myself back on track and, and be able to, you know, to be able to, to deal with it. The one thing that I will tell people today is that if you don't know how to communicate effectively, you need to learn because that's what's going to save a whole lot of grief. And you, you just, you need to be able to, every time I turn around and people are having a difficult time, when I kind of peel back the onion skin and take a look, it's communication. It's we, they don't know how to communicate. So sitting down on the couch with your significant other and saying, you know, you said something the other day and that offended me. How can we deal with that differently going forward? Yeah. Very different thing than saying, you know, I hate your guts and you know, why did you have to go and say that? You embarrassed me. You made me feel horrible and all that sort of stuff. And I don't want to talk to you. I'm going to go go for a walk or go for a drive or, you know, something radical like that. It doesn't have to be that. Just, you know, you sit down and you have that meaningful conversation, respectful of each other, and you listen. Oh, gosh, here we go. Listen and hear what they're saying. Yes. Oh, my gosh, yes. I don't know if you've ever heard of this before. Nonviolent communication. Yes. With Marshall Rosen, I, I, I bring it up so much on this podcast because I legitimately think that like every single person needs to be familiar with nonviolent communication because it has like quite literally changed my life. It has changed my marriage. It's changed the way we talk with our children. It's changed the way I talk with other people because it gives you an effective way to communicate. And oh, man, like. Yes. Having, being able to effectively communicate and it's hard. Mm -hmm. It's really hard. Like when my husband and I need to have a conversation, we, it's slow. I bet if someone looking in would be like, oh my gosh, just get to the point already (laughs) because we really try to take it slow because we think it through in our minds. We're like, okay, no, you didn't make me feel this way. Let's see. How can I say this? And then we eventually get it out when you said this or when you did this, I felt very hurt. 
because and then we explain or or and then we explain like what our need is moving forward and it's kind of a slow process and it can be really frustrating at first when you're not familiar with it because it takes so much more time to think things through before you just blurt it out um but i think that there is so much power in being able to learn how to effectively communicate your needs and hear other people's needs even if they're not effectively communicating with you yeah one of one of the techniques that i i teach is what i call the pausing technique and so you pause and you think, if I say what I want to say right now, how is it going to be received by the other person? And if any red flags go up, then don't say it. Reframe it, rephrase it, do whatever you need to do before you say it. But don't, if you get any red flags whatsoever, just don't go there because you're you're walking into a, into a minefield. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Like, I love that pause technique. I think that can be used in so many things. I, I've said this multiple times again, but I am a redhead and I have that like fiery redhead <laughs> gene that comes out and I have worked really, really hard on it. So I'm not as quick to anger as I used to be. Uh, because one of the things that I realized was like my body was reacting before my mind caught up. So I was feeling physically angry. I was having a physical reaction before I realized, oh, I'm angry. And so I've been able to help calm that down because I'm like, okay, I need to take deep breaths and calm my body down. And then my mind calms down as well. But one of the things that I have had to like completely learn is that like pausing <laughs> Mm-hmm. When I'm about to like erupt out of anger, I'm like, no, I need to pause. <laughs> and giving that myself that pause allows myself to calm down. So I don't react out of anger, but instead I can react out of a more thought out yeah. way than just yeah. the quick reaction. I love that pause technique. I think it has so many useful applications and the other thing to think about too is with that is sometimes we have to step out of the conversation to a place of safety and then and so it could be simply can we talk about this in a couple hours yep and and it can be just as simple as that and then when it's safe to step back in then you it's crucial conversations is what you know is is the basically the technique and that and and so what I encourage people is a combination of the pausing technique and crucial conversations, creating that safe place for the conversation to take place are all yeah. elements of communicating effectively. And if you can get yeah. there, you're going to have stronger relationships with those that matter. You're also going to be that much more of a valued asset in your organization because you'll be able to get people to buy into things a whole lot easier just because you're communicating effectively and they understand. Yeah, 100%. Yes. Okay. We need to end, but I actually really wanted to bring this up to kind of end on because I think it's really, really important. And you mentioned it earlier on and you just kind of mentioned it again, surrounding yourself with people who help you. And I honestly think that part of this, like 
pausing technique, making sure like if you need to come back to the conversation a few hours later, the people who matter and who really care are going to be okay with you doing that. They're going to be okay saying, yes, we'll come back in a few hours. And I think that you start running into problems when people are like, no, I want to talk about it right now. Because at least in my experience, those people who want to push it right then and right there are typically not the people who are as worthwhile keeping within your close sphere. So just, I really want to like put it like extra emphasis on like making sure that the people you surround yourself with are people who love you and are going to buoy you up and who are going to listen without judgment and hold space for you because those are the people who matter and who are really going to be beneficial in your life. Yeah. Yeah. I agree a hundred percent. Yeah. That whole inner circle, especially in today's world is needs to be just that much stronger and you need Mm -hmm. to choose wisely and, and, and let them know that, you know, I've told people that I have my inner circle then I have my outer circle and my further outer circle and to get to the inner circle takes work and I'll work with you to help you get there. But Mm -hmm. I, you're not going to just walk up one day and say, Oh, I'm part of your inner circle. Uh, no, not happening. Yep. Oh, this has been lovely, Doug. Oh, good. Yeah. I've enjoyed it. I am so grateful that you could be on tonight. I I guess, what time is it for you? Actually, it's it's 530. So, oh, we're we're the same, right? We're the same time. I did not not realize that I, for some reason, I figured you would be like a totally different time. But I really, really loved this. Thank you so much for being on and for talking about so many just important things. Well, thank you for for the opportunity as well. Um, You know, when I get to sit down and talk to somebody that that gets it, it's so much, it makes me feel so much better as well. It's for me, it's therapeutic. So, so thank you. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for a preview from next week. I just want to thank all of you listeners, truly. It means the absolute world to me that you are taking time to listen to these beautiful stories. Life is crazy and always busy. So your time to listen to this is extremely valuable. And that is not lost on me. So thank you. Check out the show notes at scarsweshare.com slash podcast slash episode 092. Yes, depression is bad. But also, if you have the right people around you, and you can find your and create coping mechanisms, then it you can get through it and you can handle it. Yeah. And so one of the things we love researching is like, so if you have a partner with this form of neurodivergence or this condition, how do you support them? Mm-hmm.